Hello and welcome to Cocoa Pods, a podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. My name is Dr. Bola Sogadi, board certified obstetrician gynecologist, family physician, and minimally invasive robotic gynecologic surgeon. Today we are talking about cesarean sections. Basically, all you need to know about C-sections. Our guest for the next series of our podcast will be Dr. Mary Joy Weathersby. Dr. Weathersby is a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist. Now a little bit about Dr. Mary Joy Weathersby. Dr. Weathersby is in private practice of obstetrics and gynecology. She works with adolescents, reproductive age, menopausal, and postmenopausal women in all stages of their lives. She works with a group of dedicated physicians, nurses, and staff to ensure high quality service to each of her patients. She involves her patients in every aspect of their healthcare needs. She received her bachelor's from the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, her medical degree from the East Carolina University School of Medicine, and her residency from New York Medical College. But first, let's talk about some facts about this topic. So number one, which type of delivery of a baby is best? Vaginal delivery is the most common and safest type of childbirth. You'll probably hear the term natural childbirth used to describe a vaginal delivery without medication for pain or to start or speed up labor. Some of these mothers, however, will still choose to have other medical help during labor, like a monitor for the baby's heart. What is a C-section and how common is a C-section? Caesarean birth is the delivery of a baby through incisions, that is surgical cuts made in the belly and uterus. Caesarean sections have become more common in recent years. Also known as a C-section, this procedure is an alternative means of delivery. In the United States, about one in three babies is delivered by cesarean birth. What are the different types of cesarean sections with respect to timing? We have elective cesarean section, that is a cesarean section might be planned ahead of time if a woman develops pregnancy complications or if she's had a previous cesarean section and is not considering a vaginal birth after cesarean section. Or it could be an emergency cesarean section, an emergency in which the baby's got to come out or the mom is very sick. What is the most common incision of a cesarean section? The bikini cut, also called the finestial skin incision, is the most common method for performing cesarean sections today. And why is it called the bikini cut? In a cesarean section, the doctor makes an incision from one side of the abdomen to the other, just above the pubic hair line. The scar is at the woman's bikini line and therefore does not show if she wants to wear a two-piece bathing suit. However, with most women receiving a bikini cut surgery, visibility is most dependent on healing and the type of underwear she's wearing. 
super low-cut boy shorts or bikinis will probably show the scar. But if the woman is wearing something a bit higher and a bit wider across the front, she'll be most likely to hide it. That is, if she wants to hide it. Why is the bikini cut also called the Fanestil incision? The name Fanestil derives from the surname of Hermann Johannes Fanestil from 1862 to 1909. This German gynecologist was the one that invented the technique in 1900. The Fanestil incision is about 15 centimeters in length and was made at the lowermost transverse crease, that is two centimeters above the symphysis pubis with a gentle curve upwards. Why would a woman need a cesarean section for delivery? Sometimes a cesarean section is needed based on the health of the mother or of the baby. In other cases, it's not necessary at all. The increase in elective cesarean sections has caused concern among medical professionals. This is because the procedure can pose unintended and even unnecessary complications. Due to the rise of this alternative form of labor and delivery, it's worth looking into the history of the procedure and why it remains popular today. What is the history of a cesarean section? The concept of surgical delivery, whatever its origin, has been recognized around the world for hundreds of years. According to historian Renate Blumenfeld Kosinski, the oldest description of a cesarean birth appears in a cuneiform tablet from Mesopotamia dating back to the second millennium BC. The history of Caesarean section dates back as far as ancient Roman times, and we relate it to the great Julius Caesar. Western medicine had no monopoly on the procedure. In Africa, Margaret Ann Berkeley, that lived from 1789 to 1865, under the male pseudonym, James Barry, and while masquerading as a man, was one of the first female obstetricians in the early 19th century British Empire. She was the first person to perform a caesarean section in South Africa. He was serving as a physician to the British army in South Africa. Successful caesarean sections have been performed by indigenous healers in Kahura, Uganda. Historically, Jane Elliot Sewell, who penned a history of the Caesarean section for the National Library of Medicine, cites 19th century accounts of successful surgical surgeries in Rwanda and Uganda. African healers used botanical preparations called Agbo, A-G-B-O, in Nigeria Yoruba culture to anesthetize their patients and promote wound healing. Historically, the surgery has always been performed to save the baby rather than the mother.
So let's talk about some of the reasons for cesarean birth. It could be because there's a failure of labor to progress. The contractions may not open the cervix enough for the baby to move into the vagina. It could be because of a concern for the baby. For example, the umbilical cord may become pinched or compressed or fetal heart rate monitoring may detect abnormal heart rate. That is maybe the baby's heartbeat is slowing down or there's a problem with oxygen delivery to the baby. Number three, you could be giving birth to more than one baby. Sometimes one baby will be in an abnormal position, so all the babies have to be born via cesarean section. Many women having twins are able to have a vaginal delivery, but if the babies are born too early, are not in good positions in the uterus, or if there are other problems, a cesarean birth may be needed. The chance of having a cesarean birth goes up with the number of babies. Number four, problems with the placenta. Number five, having a very large baby or the baby's head is unusually large. Number six, the baby is lying in a, an unusual position, like a breech position. Number seven, you as a mom, you have a medical condition that makes vaginal birth risky. For example, a cesarean delivery may be done if you have an active or open genital herpes infection during labor. It may also be done if you have certain heart conditions or certain brain problems, such as an aneurysm, high blood pressure, HIV, or heart problems. If your baby has certain birth defects that make a vaginal delivery unsafe, a cesarean delivery will be offered. Is a cesarean birth necessary if I have had a previous cesarean birth? What is a vaginal birth after cesarean section? Now, if you've had a cesarean birth before, you may be able to give birth vaginally. The decision depends on the type of incision used in the previous cesarean delivery. The number of previous cesarean deliveries, whether you've had any conditions that make a vaginal delivery risky, and the type of hospital in which you have your baby, as well as other factors. Now, why do black women in the United States have more cesarean sections than white women? The short answer to this lies in structural racism, but there's a long answer too. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, the US Health Protection Agency, calls the issue of black maternal deaths a complex national problem. There is evidence that black mothers consistently undergo cesarean births more than white mothers, even in low risk situations. And as a result, the black mothers are more likely to suffer for longer after birth, to struggle to fully recover and or to die. There is a lot of academic literature and personal experiences of speaking to women and interviewing advocates leading the fight for black maternal equality. Black women in the US have the highest risk of dying in childbirth. Dangerous and unnecessary cesarean sections have a lot to do with this too. What's going on? One factor driving these disparities is the extensive use of cesarean sections in the United States. 
1970, the rate of cesarean section was a mere 5%. By 2019, it had risen to more than 30%. The increase hasn't led to an improvement in outcomes, and the overall figure hides a racial disparity. The rate of cesarean sections for Black women is higher, 35.9%, than for white women, 30.7%. There's also a history of control and profits. Some of medicine's most impactful techniques came from repeated experiments without pain relief, including cesarean sections on enslaved women in the American South. And I quote Deirdre Copper Owens, a professor of medical history, writes, as much as white medical men are lauded for serving as the fathers of American gynecology, black women, especially those who were enslaved, can arguably be called the mothers, quote unquote because of the medical roles they played as patients, plantation nurses, and midwives. Despite this history, Black women's bodies are often viewed as problematic when it comes to giving birth. Pelvic structures indeed vary by ethnicity and even geography. But instead of teaching students to deliver babies from the wide range of body shapes in today's multi-ethnic societies. Medical books commonly treat the average white woman's pelvis as the gold standard for vaginal delivery. Rather than learn how to support black women and other ethnic women to give birth vaginally, it's easier to cut them open also, it's about the money. When the United States economy depended on slavery and therefore Black reproduction to thrive, Black women were depicted as strong, perfectly capable of pushing out multiple babies. Many were even given rewards by their slave masters for giving birth, that is, providing them with more human property. Nowadays, the situation is reversed. Treating Black women as less capable of bearing children without medical intervention suits America's profit-driven hospitals. The U.S. healthcare system is run largely by a network of private corporations. It's a system designed to prioritize the profits of stakeholders private companies and hospitals indeed over the health of patients. This is a medical industrial complex here. This setup produces numerous perverse incentives resulting in a significant risk of overtreatment. And the forces pushing black women towards cesarean sections have to be understood in this context. For hospitals, caesarean sections are a profitable business. 
United States hospitals charge an average of $22,646 for a cesarean section compared with $12,915 for a normal uncomplicated pregnancy. The 2010 Affordable Care Act meant that more Black women had medical insurance than before, but it didn't remove the profit motive from hospitals, meaning there's more incentives for hospitals to push women down the more profitable path, knowing their insurance companies can pay. And Black women who are less likely to be listened to when they push back against the idea of surgery are the first people shoved down whatever road is more profitable for the system. Between 2008 and 2018, cesarean section rates increased for Black women while they decreased among white women. A study from one hospital in Massachusetts looked at unscheduled cesarean sections. What they found was that Black babies were much more likely to be diagnosed as, quote-unquote, in distress than white babies. Research shows that there can be no subjectivity in assessment of fetal distress using electronic fetal monitoring devices. And this supports the potential of variation in decision-making that results in lower thresholds for diagnosing fetal distress and recommending cesarean section among certain racial and ethnic groups. In other words, in the high-stress context of the delivery room, likely with monitors beeping and contractions squeezing, Black women are more likely to be pushed towards sometimes unnecessary cesarean sections. Numerous studies show access to doula care in particular leads to better outcomes, including lower cesarean section rates. But doulas uncovered by Medicaid, leaving Black women disproportionately out in the cold. Black women are more likely to be denied a vaginal birth if they have had a previous cesarean section. One of the main reasons why Black women suffer and die more in childbirth was not being listened to, not being heard, not being acknowledged. C-sections are seen as the safer, quote-unquote, option. But research shows C-sections pose a much greater risk to the mother more than vaginal deliveries with potential problems, including damage to the bladder, infection, a heart attack or kidney failure. Women are twice as likely to experience a severe hemorrhage following a cesarean section compared with a vaginal birth. Bleeding out after giving birth is one of the leading causes of childbear-related deaths. Uterine scarring is another risk that has risen over recent years. This scarring can cause chronic pain, abnormal bleeding, and may require surgical removal before subsequent pregnancies. Typically, this scarring leads to more scar formation. Typically, 
performing surgery to remove scarring leads to increased scarring that can cause risks at subsequent cesarean section. In this series with Dr. Weathersby, we also talk about can a woman request cesarean birth? And we'll see what the American College of OBGYN is saying with respect to that. We also talk about what exactly happens during a cesarean birth. What are the preparations that need to be done before cesarean birth? We talked about even pain management. Will I feel pain? Will you feel pain during a cesarean section? What type of anesthesia is used? And who administers the anesthesia? So we talked about the fact that we use an epidural block, which numbs the lower half of the body. An injection is made into a space in your spine, in your lower back, and a small tube may be inserted in, into this space so that more medication can be given through the tube later if needed. And we talked about a spinal block that also numbs the lower half of the body. You receive the spinal block in the same way as you receive an epidural block, but the drug is injected directly into the spinal fluid. And we also have the combined spinal epidural block. And then we also have general anesthesia in which you are not awake during delivery. So the type of anesthesia you get depends on many factors, including your health, the health of your baby, and the reason for the cesarean delivery. Anesthesiologists will talk to you about the benefits and risk of each type of anesthesia and suggest the best option for you. We also talked about the process in which the baby is exactly delivered. In the coming series with Dr. Weathersby, we also talked about what you should expect after a C-section during recovery and the reasons for which you must call your OBGYN right away. If you have fever, chills, leg pain, draining or leakage from your incision site, heavy bleeding, worsening pain, shortness of breath, you need to call your OBGYN right away. And then, there is the evolution of the cesarean section. So whether or not babies born by cesarean section have magical powers, the procedure has evolved enough to give mothers power too. For one, mothers rarely die during C-sections thanks to advances in care. The advent of anesthesia makes the process less painful. The quality of antibiotics also decrease the risk for life-threatening infections. An estimated 32%, according to the CDC, of all babies are born through cesarean section. This statistic might seem small as it represents a third of all births. Still, this is a jump from just two decades ago when only 21% of babies were born by C-section. Researchers continue to investigate why C-sections have gained popularity. Some attribute the rise to increased health problems and an increase in the number of mothers wanting to control their due dates. Other mothers may fear traditional childbirth 
and opt for a cesarean section instead. There are also many other reasons the cesarean section rate has risen. And we talked about the current recommendations by the American College of OBGYN on this cesarean section issue, in which they say that vaginal delivery remains the preferred method of labor and delivery. Still, there are times when a cesarean section is warranted and the woman and the doctor should talk and the doctor will recommend the procedure if they feel it's the safest option. The commonest reason for a C-section is stalled labor. And this is the most common reason women go through C-sections. This refers to labor that has started but doesn't progress. We also talked about how having a cesarean section surgery poses certain complications. And one of the complications is that women who have had C-sections will likely have their subsequent children born in the same manner. And for this reason, women may be discouraged from electing this surgery if they plan on having more than one child. Another problem is that a C-section can affect your reproductive system. Heavy bleeding that occurs shortly after the procedure that cannot be controlled by all means may require a hysterectomy that is the surgical removal of the uterus. And this could potentially take away your opportunity to get pregnant again. And then we talked about multiple cesarean sections leading to problems with the placenta. Babies born by cesarean section can also be harmed by incisions made during the surgery. Babies born via C-section before 39 weeks are also at increased risk for breathing problems. In our discussion, in talking about recovery after a C-section, it takes about six weeks to recover from a C-section. And during that time, we recommend that you avoid lifting anything heavier than your baby. There are also some new guidelines that recommends allowing women to labor longer to help avoid cesarean delivery. So allowing most women with low-risk pregnancies to spend more time in the first stage of labor may avoid unnecessary cesarean sections, according to the American College of OBGYN and the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine. This is in hope of preventing women from having cesarean sections with their first birth and are decreasing the nation's overall cesarean delivery rate. Because evidence now shows that labor actually progresses slower than we thought in the past. So many women might just need a little bit more time to labor and deliver vaginally instead of moving quickly to a cesarean delivery. And you ask the question, is it possible that cesarean delivery is overused without clear evidence of improved maternal or newborn outcomes? So in 2011, again, one in three women in the United States gave birth by cesarean delivery. Today, approximately 60% of cesarean births are primary, that is first time cesarean C-section. 
So although cesarean birth can be life-saving for the mother and or the baby, so is it possible that cesarean delivery is overused without clear evidence of improved maternal or newborn outcomes? In 2011, one in three women in the United States gave birth by cesarean delivery. Today, approximately 60% of all cesarean births are primary cesarean C-sections, that is first-time cesarean sections. And although cesarean birth can be life-saving for the baby and or the mother, the rapid increase in cesarean birth rates raises significant concern that cesarean delivery is overused without clear evidence of improved maternal or newborn outcomes. So we talked about how can we safely prevent that first or primary cesarean delivery with physicians balancing the risks and the benefits until we know a cesarean is definitely the best mode of delivery. Because for most pregnancies that are low risk, cesarean delivery may pose greater risk than vaginal delivery especially risks related to future pregnancies. So the ways in which the American College of OBGYN has proposed to decrease this first or primary cesarean delivery is number one, allowing a prolonged early phase of labor, that is the latent phase of labor, considering cervical dilatation of six centimeters instead of four centimeters as the start of active phase of labor, allowing more time for labor to progress in the active phase, allowing women to push for at least two hours if they've delivered a baby before and three hours if it's their first delivery. And even longer in some situations, for example, with an epidural in place. And number four, using techniques to assist vaginal delivery which is the preferred method when possible. For example, using vacuum extraction. And then number five, encouraging patients to avoid excessive weight gain during pregnancy. And as a patient, can I request my own cesarean section? It is estimated that 2.5% of all live births in the United States are cesarean delivery on maternal request. When a woman desires a cesarean delivery or maternal request, her healthcare provider should consider specific risk factors such as her age, her body mass index, accuracy of the estimated gestational age, future reproductive plans, personal values, and cultural context. In the absence of maternal or fetal indications for cesarean delivery, a plan for vaginal delivery is safe and appropriate and should be recommended. So as a physician, we want to explore the reasons behind the patient's request for an on-demand cesarean delivery. We want to discuss the risk and benefits. And if the patient decides to pursue cesarean delivery on maternal request, so after exploring the reasons behind the patient's requests, and discussing the risks and benefits, if a patient decides to pursue cesarean delivery on maternal requests, there are some recommendations. 
In the absence of other indications for early delivery, cesarean delivery or maternal request should not be performed before 39 weeks gestation. And given the high repeat cesarean delivery rate, patients should be informed that the risks of placenta previa, placenta accreta spectrum, and gravid hysterectomy increase with each subsequent cesarean delivery. If a patient's main motivation to elect a cesarean delivery is a fear of pain in childbirth, we as the obstetric care provider should discuss this with the patient and offer the patient analgesia for labor, as well as prenatal childbirth education and emotional support in labor. In the absence of maternal or fetal indications for cesarean delivery, a plan for vaginal delivery is safe and appropriate and should also be recommended. We talked about breastfeeding challenges in the post-C-section mom as investigated by the ACO Committee on Obstetric Practice Breastfeeding Expert Work Group. And we noted that women who undergo a cesarean delivery typically experience peak engorgement 24 to 49 hours later than those who give birth vaginally. Concomitant breast edema from fluid collection in the interstitial breast tissue may make tenderness worse and feeding difficulties worse in the immediate postpartum period of a breastfeeding mom. A study on postpartum engorgement found a reduction in engorgement in women who express colostrum once or twice for 30 minutes the first one to two days for vaginal birth and the first two to three days for cesarean delivery, suggesting early milk expression may help prevent engorgement. We also talked about the group B status, the GBS status. All women whose vaginal rectal cultures at 36 to 37 weeks of gestation are positive for group B streptococcus infection should receive appropriate intrapartum antibiotic prophylaxis unless a pre-label cesarean birth is performed in the setting of intact membranes. So how about women with group B streptococcus status? So we found that all women who had the culture of their rectum and their vagina between 36 to 37 weeks of pregnancy and are positive for group B streptococcus should receive appropriate antibiotics during labor unless a pre-labor cesarean birth is performed in the setting of unruptured membranes. Women with a positive prenatal GBS cultural result who undergo a cesarean birth before the onset of labor and with intact membranes do not require GBS antibiotic prophylaxis. We talked about all the possibilities of achieving a vaginal birth after cesarean section and what a trial of labor after cesarean section is. So in addition 
we talked about what are the benefits of a vaginal birth after cesarean delivery. So in addition to fulfilling a patient's preference for vaginal delivery at an individual level, a vaginal birth after cesarean section is associated with decreased maternal morbidity and a decreased risk of complications in future pregnancies, as well as a decrease in overall cesarean delivery rate at the population level. For example, women who achieve vaginal birth after cesarean section avoid major abdominal surgery. They have lower rates of hemorrhage or forming a clot in their leg that could go to their lungs, thromboembolism, and a lower rate of infection. They also have a shorter recovery period than women who have had an elective repeat cesarean delivery. Additionally, for those considering future pregnancies, a vaginal birth after cesarean section may decrease the risk of maternal consequences related to multiple cesarean deliveries, like a hysterectomy, bowel or bladder injury, transfusion, infection, and abnormal positioning of the placenta. And what could make a trial of labor fail? We talked about although a trial of labor is appropriate for many women, several factors increase the likelihood of a failed trial of labor, which in turn is associated with an increased maternal and perinatal morbidity when compared to a successful trial of labor and when compared to an elective repeat cesarean delivery. Therefore, assessing the likelihood of a vaginal birth after cesarean section, as well as the individual risk is important when determining who is a candidate for a trial of labor after cesarean section. So recommendations favoring a trial of labor after cesarean sections were reflected in the increased vaginal birth after cesarean section rates from slightly more than 5% in 1985 to 28.3% in 1996. Concomitantly, the overall cesarean delivery rate decreased from 22.8% in 1989 to about 20% in 1996. Yet, as the number of women pursuing trial of labor after cesarean section increased, so did the number of reports of uterine rupture and other complications. So concomitantly, the overall cesarean delivery rate decreased from 22% in 1989 to 20% in 1996. Yet, as the number of women pursuing trial of labor after cesarean section increased, so did the number of reports of uterine rupture and other complications related to trial of labor after cesarean section. These reports and the professional liability pressures they engendered contributed in part to a reversal of the vaginal birth after cesarean section and cesarean section delivery trend. And by 2006, the VBAC rate had increased to 8% and the total cesarean section rate these reports and the professional liability pressures they engendered
contributed in part to a reversal of the VBAC and cesarean delivery trend. And by 2006, the VBAC rate had decreased to 8% and the total cesarean delivery rate had increased to 31%. Some hospitals stopped offering trial of labor after cesarean section altogether. So what are the risks associated with the trial of labor after a previous cesarean section? So elective repeat cesarean delivery and trial of labor after cesarean delivery associated with risks with the mother and with the baby. The risks include maternal bleeding, infection, operative hemorrhage, forming a clot in your lungs, hysterectomy, and even death. Most maternal morbidity, that is the mom becoming very sick, related to a trial of labor, occurs when the repeat cesarean section becomes necessary. So vaginal birth after cesarean section is associated with fewer complications than an elective repeat cesarean section, whereas a failed trial of labor is associated with more complications. Consequently, the risk of the mom becoming very sick, maternal morbidity is integrally related to a woman's probability of her achieving a successful VBAC. So we also talked about after having many cesarean sections, there can be problems in which the placenta in the current pregnancy does not deliver after the baby is born. And this is the placenta accretor spectrum, also known as the abnormally, morbidly adherent placenta. We talked about the issues that can cause this. And even though we can diagnose this by ultrasound, it is important to know that the absence of ultrasound findings does not preclude a diagnosis of abnormal placenta implantation. So we have to keep an eye on the clinical risk factors because they remain equally important as predictors of abnormal placentation diagnosed by ultrasound finding. And we seek to find what is the most common risk factor for abnormal placenta implantation. And there are several risk factors for this, but the most common is a previous cesarean delivery. This we talked about and so many other things we talked about in the upcoming CocoaPods podcast series of cesarean section by Dr. Mary Joy Weathersby. Thank you so much for listening to this prelude to the series coming up in the next few weeks. Thank you. Thank you to all our listeners for listening. My name is Dr. Bola Sugade, the host of CocoaPods, a public education podcast, as we look forward to hosting Dr. Mary Joy Weathersby, board certified OBGYN, who is going to talk to us about all the things we need to know about cesarean sections. Thank you.